Well, good morning, OneChurch.tv. How are you guys doing this morning? Fantastic. I am so honored to be with you guys. What you just experienced was a new series that we are going to be talking about next week entitled Hotheads. It's all about controlling your temper and anger. Now, listen, I know you guys. All of y'all need to be there, right? Uh, OneChurch.tv people, I have seen you guys drive. Um, I know how I drive, so I am teaching it, and I also teaching myself. So we're going to have a great time all about controlling your anger and getting over bitterness and forgiveness. So that starts next week. But today, we are finishing our series uh, going through the book of Acts. Now, we've been talking for the past year and a half uh, through the book of Acts, and we've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We've bro- broken it up and because uh, and, uh, we wanted to kind of mix it up for you guys. But today, we are going to be finishing in Acts chapter 28. But before we get there, I just want to give just a quick overview of where we've been, because this is a, probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. Because this book is all about how the early church got it started. Have you ever wondered? I mean, some of you guys driving to one church, meeting in a movie theater, you actually had to pass by eight or nine different steeples and different church buildings and stuff like that. Have you ever wondered, how did all this stuff get started? How did the early church get traction? How did it happen? And for some of you guys, you've texted me, you've emailed me. In fact, one person emailed me this. I've been in church all my life, and I grew up going to church, and I'm back, and I never knew how the story of the local church got its start. Now, here's what we've been talking about, and it's simply this, that the church, it launched 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, not as an institution, not as a building, but the church launched as a movement. And guess what? Movements move. Nobody wrote that down. Nobody tweeted that. I didn't get, I mean, come on now. I mean, movements move. And I love that. See, when we think of church, we say, I'm going to go to church, right? And we usually think of a building um, or, you know, I'm a part of a church, right? And it's usually, but here's the thing. It's none of that. The church is a movement and movements move. And it's keeping on moving. The key verse that we've looked at in the entire book of Acts is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it simply says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, here's what's amazing. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to get power. And we think, okay, you're going to do something amazing. You're going to do something miraculous. Guess what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you receive that power? You will be my witnesses. You see, that's how you know that God is really in you. Do you really talk about what he is doing in you and through you and around you and sometimes instead of you? You see, you will be my witnesses. And then what is a witness? I mean, think about that. He explains it in this verse. Telling people about me everywhere. That's what it means to be a witness. And then he says, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and then for there, she's gone. It's to the ends of the earth. You see, you and I are called to be witnesses. And what it means to be a witness is simply telling people about Jesus everywhere. But I like how Acts 1.8 says that. It says, you will tell people about me everywhere. And then it says, first in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in their backyard. In fact, we see in Acts chapters 1 through Acts chapter 7, it all the action is happening in Jerusalem. And then starting at verse 8, because persecution breaks out, 
That's when everybody says, we're out of Jerusalem, and they go to Judea. That's kind of the county. And then Samaria, that's cross-cultural missions. Samaria was totally cross-cultural, different groups of people, different sets of values. They didn't look like the Jews, didn't act like the Jews. They didn't even listen to the same radio as the Jews, right? They probably listened to country music or whatever. All right, but here's the thing. Jesus says, I'm not just for Jews. I'm for everybody. And that is Acts chapters 8 through Acts chapter 12. Judea and Samaria. And then in Acts chapter 13 through Acts chapter 28, where we're going to be at today, that is to the ends of the earth. And that's where we're at. And that's how the early church got its start. But it goes back to Acts chapter 1, and it starts with 120 people huddled into an upper room who some of them are afraid, they're a little scared, and they're remembering what Jesus said. Okay, you're going to see power when the Holy Spirit, whoever that is, I don't know anything about that, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you're going to start talking about me, okay? And that's exactly what happened in this unique movement. You see, Christianity does not revolve around a book. Do you know that? You see, I grew up, and I grew up in a traditional church where it was all about the book. It was about the B-I-B-L-E, because that is the book for me. Now, here's the thing. I believe in the B-I-B-L-E, but the <laughs> Christianity created the Bible, not vice versa. You see, Christianity happened, and we talked about this last series, it happened because of an event that happened in history. You see, Jesus was born. He lived for 33 years. He did all these miracles. He calmed the sea, drew out demons, all this amazing stuff. And then he was crucified. He was buried. And get this, he rose again. And that event is what started Christianity. So if you're here, if you're not a church person, and you're like, maybe you went to college and somebody debunked your faith, debunked the Bible, and you're like, I can't be a Christian because of... No, no, no. Christianity is not about a book. It's about an event that happened in history. And guess what? This just didn't happen 100 years ago with these folks. It happened just six weeks ago. They saw it. Jesus showed up to the 11 disciples, and then he showed up to 500 people at one time. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says. And then as we dig on, they, they kind of camped out on that statement that, guess what? There are thousands of Jewish believers running all over Jerusalem, and here's what they're saying. They embrace this idea that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it was that statement that they camped on that he had risen from the dead. It was that event. And here's the interesting thing. What began as a simple message became a movement. And guess what movements do? Anybody want to guess? Move. See, some of y'all sound like cows, right? Move. All right, they move. Exactly right. Now, guess what? Back in the early days when the church got started, they didn't even call themselves Christians. They called themselves followers of the way. And where they got that name, because Jesus said it himself in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. So they're like, we're followers of the way. Christians and Christianity came a little bit later with the church of Antioch, and it was kind of a slam against Christians. They're just a little Christ, right? I'm going to put these little Christs in my pocket. But before that, they were just followers of the way. And guess what? The number one persecutor and torturer of the people and the followers of the way was a guy by the name of Saul, Saul of Tarsus. He began to organize this official inquisition to find these followers of the way, bring them to Jerusalem to get them locked up, prosecuted, and sometimes even put 
to death. And as he did, what's amazing this, as he was persecuting and killing the followers of the way and smack dab in the middle of his story, he becomes a follower of the way, Jesus Christ, the Christ that Jesus he didn't believe in. And his world turns upside down and and his mind is blown and it wrecks his life. So he goes back to Jerusalem and he changes his name. Why does he change his name? He changes his name from Saul to Paul. And the reason why is because God will change your life. You don't believe that? Stick around a little bit. He will. He will absolutely light a fire under your soul that cannot be contained. And Paul goes back to Jerusalem and he starts telling all the Jews, hey, Jesus is alive. And they didn't like that. They're like, you're supposed to be killing them. You're not supposed to become one of them. But he's like, dude, my life's changed. And guess what? From then, that point on, Paul, because the Jews rejected this whole idea of Jesus is, the, is God, the Savior of the world, he says, fine, I'm going to just go and talk to everybody else. And he takes it to the ends of the earth, Acts chapters 13 to Acts chapter 28. I love that. Now, Saul changed his name to Paul. Paul's hanging out. And he's like, man, I have this passion. I want to take the gospel. I want to take the news of Jesus Christ. I want to be a witness to Jesus in Rome. And the reason why he wanted to go to Rome is because Rome was the, I mean, as far as west as you can go, and that was kind of the gateway to the rest of the world. And this is what God tells him in Acts 23, 11. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, be encouraged, Paul. Turn to your neighbor and say, you better be encouraged. Come on, Cletus. Be encouraged, Paul, just as you have been a witness. Everybody say witness. That's what we're talking about, being a witness to me here in Jerusalem. You must preach the good news in Rome as well. And that was kind of God's assurance. Okay, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Now, anybody who knows Jesus should want to share it with others that God is for them. And that's what Paul was doing. Paul was saying, listen, I'm just going to go to the rest of the world and like the Jews and Peter and James, they were all arguing, well, should they eat meat? Should they eat bacon? Should they whatever? And Paul's like, y'all can argue about those theological things all you want to. While y'all get in Jerusalem, I'm just going to go win everybody else. And that's exactly what happened with Paul. And Paul went on missionary journey after missionary journey, and he is telling other people that God is for them. Now, here's what Here's what you need to know. Everybody is an evangelist. Do you know that? Evangelism is kind of a churchy word. It just means telling people about good news. Everybody is an evangelist. And let me tell you the reason why. It's because I have a couple of good friends. They're like, man, dude, you need, I'm a movie buff. You need to go see Annihilation, Chris. This movie is amazing. You ought to watch it. It's a good movie. So I went to go see Annihilation. And here's what you need to know. It was an awful movie. It wasn't as bad as Star Wars The Last Jedi. Don't even get me started on that, that tripe, all right? Because I will, like, lose my Christianity in front of you, all right? It wasn't that bad, but Annihilation was just like, come on. It just just went on and on, and and I'm just like, it's not for me. Now, you may not like my movie critics and criticisms. I get that. But here's what you need to know about my two friends who like Annihilation. People are not afraid to share something if it impacted them. Did you know that? You see, it, it, that, that movie impacted them. And people are like, you got to see it. You got to see it. Here's my question. Has God impacted your life? And all of us are going to say, well, of course, of course he has. I mean, I'm here, right? Question is, are you sharing about it? 
Are you sharing about it? Because people are not afraid to share something if it's impacting them. You cannot help but to share it. Are you sharing your faith? Because if you're not sharing your faith, it may be that God hasn't impacted you as much as you thought. It may be that you think you're something that you're really not. So today, we're going to come to the last chapter written in the book of Acts, the last chapter written in our Bibles, if you will. It's Acts chapter 28. I say it's the last chapter that's written because the work of the Holy Spirit is still continuing today. It still continues through the church today, and there are more chapters to be written. But we're in Acts 28, and guess what? We're in Acts 28 today, but we're in also in Acts 2018. And Acts 28 is history. Acts 2018 is today, people. Hear me think, hear me on this. God is still moving in his church, the big C church. There are so many fantastic churches here in Clarksville and around the world that is still being witnesses telling everybody about me everywhere. God is still busy. Y'all remember, everybody remember Arsenio Hall? I'm showing my, there you go, Barry. I heard that, my friend, right? Let's get busy. God is still busy. You see, sometimes we look at the Bible and we're like, well, God was busy back then, but he ain't busy anymore. No. See, he is busy in and through and around you. You just may not be noticing, and it may be because you got some buildup. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Y'all hang on to yourself. Here's what it says. Acts 20, 18. Acts, here it is. We're going to start in Acts 28. When we got to Rome. Now, the we there gives us the context clues that it's not only Paul, but it's also Luke who's writing the book of Acts. When we, finally, Paul made it to Rome. Exactly where God told them that he would eventually go to years before. Now, Paul was sure that he was going to make it to Rome because God said, you're going to go to Rome, right? And when God says something, you can take it to the bank. But let me tell you, Paul finally made it to Rome, but on the way to Rome, we just learned a couple weeks ago that he was involved in a shipwreck. Uh, he got bit by a viper. God didn't tell him that one. He, uh, he got hung up in Caesarea for two years as he was arrested. God didn't tell him that one. In fact, we're going to see today that he waits in prison for two years in Rome. God didn't tell him that one. God just said, you're going to eventually make it to Rome. Can I just stop and simply say this? I want to insert this. You have been told that you are going home, but God has not told you it will be health, wealth, and prosperity until you get there. Anybody is telling you that on your way home, that you're going to have nothing but health, wealth, and prosperity, they're liars because that's not what God's Word says. They're not teaching you the Bible. They're selling you something, and they're setting you up for disappointment with God because let me tell you, it's not all sunshine and roses. All I know that you're going home. Eventually, you will die. The death rate here in America is 100%. In Canada, I hear it's 30. I'm not sure. So... It may be fake news. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, all I know is that you are going home. All of us are going to die. You might go home with ALS. You might go home with Parkinson's. You might go home with Lou Gehrig's disease. You might go home with betrayal and treachery. You might go, go home being misunderstood by the world, but I promise you, you're going home, and on your way, you can sing in the storm. That's what we looked at last week. 
But look at this. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with another soldier to guard him. By the way, that sounds kind of like an oxymoron, doesn't it? So he is living by himself while chained to a Roman soldier. In fact, if you go back and look at the original language, he's having to pay for his own rented quarters. So he gets to Rome. God said, you're going to make it to Rome. He gets there, and for the next two years, he is chained by a Roman guard, and he's having to pay rent. That gum. So that's what happens. And while he's there for the next two years, Paul writes four letters from this house. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He's writing these letters to these churches. In fact, we're going to be studying them in 2019 because he can't leave his quarters. Think about this. Paul finally makes it to Rome, and he can't see all the tourist sites. He can't go eat some good pasta in Rome, right? He can't go to the Colosseum or the marketplace to tell other people about Jesus. So guess what Paul does? He brings everybody to himself. Look at this. Three days later, verse 17, he called together all the leaders of the Jews. Now, whenever Paul came into a new city, his habit was he would go and he would search out people of his own commonality, race, and nation, the Jews, because he had some commonality there. And when they had assembled, Paul said to them, now, this is what Paul begins to defend himself. My brothers, although I have done nothing wrong against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, but I was not guilty of any crimes deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I object. That's what he says. I, comp I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I, have, I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I've asked you to see you and to talk with you. It is because of this hope of Israel that I am bound with these chains. So Paul is going through telling his story that we've looked at in the book of Acts. He's telling why he's in change. He can't change what others are saying back about, about him back home. So he simply just tells the truth. And what's funny, this is what's so amazing, is that Rome has not heard anything about this guy by the name of Paul. Isn't it time, sometimes we think that everybody's talking bad about us, but in reality, nobody's talking about us at all. Isn't that right? And Paul realizes, nope, I'm not that important. I thought everybody would be talking about you. They ain't talking about me. You're not the center of the conversation, Paul, but we're going to see who is. It's Jesus. Simply says this. They replied, we've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who've come there have reported anything bad about you. Isn't it funny? Paul is defending himself in the way this looks him being in chains, they're like, dude, why are you defending yourself? Let me simply, when, half the time when people accuse you, don't defend. Let your character, your reputation, your integrity stand for itself. I mean, in, I mean many of us, we've watched in horror with all the things that's happening right now on the news just this past week. And the accusations flying and everything. And we feel like we need to defend and I'm telling you, the thing that you and I can do is that we can just allow lives to speak for themselves. Paul is defending himself, and we see that he really doesn't need to defend himself. So Paul was reminded that this isn't about him. This is about Jesus and about being a witness. And let me see if I say this is not my notes. For some of you, I know I just brought up the whole current events and accusations, um, People who bring serious accusations like it's been happening, they need to be heard. Um, they need to be heard. Uh, some of you, you have been the victim of sexual assault. And for that, I, 
I am so sorry that happened. I would encourage you and all of us, the reason why we exist as a church, we exist for messy people who've experienced really bad things that happened to us. And we won't let you know you have a place here. We won't point fingers at you. You are loved, and we love you. So let me keep on going. So thank you. Uh, Acts uh, chapter 28 uh, verse 22, but, look at this, but, we, Dan, Dan talked bad about you, Paul, but we want to hear about what your views are, for we know that people, what? People what? Everywhere are talking against this sect. People everywhere are talking about Jesus. Though Paul hasn't received any bad press in Rome, what people are talking about everywhere is this new sect of Judaism called Christianity or the way. Christianity has received some bad press, so Paul explains what Christianity is all about. They arranged to meet Paul, verse 23, on a certain day, and even came in large numbers by the place that he was staying. From how long? From when? Morning until my boy Paul had the gift of gab. See, some of y'all, y'all think, Pastor, you talk too long. Nay, nay. All right? So uh, they talked from morning until evening until he explained and declared to them about the kingdom of God and tried to do what? Convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So he explained, he declared, and he was trying to convince them. And where did he start? From the law of Moses called the Torah, or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and the prophets, which in a lot of ways is just kind of is the rest of the Old Testament, those 39 books. Now, notice where Paul went to convince the Jews was the Hebrew Bible. Why did he start there? Because he knew his audience. The Jews believed the Hebrew scriptures to be authoritative. The Old Testament is authoritative. Now, here's the thing. The Old Testament, the law of Moses, the prophets, they are true. I totally believe them. In fact, I'm reading through a chronological Bible right now, and I'm on Nehemiah chapter 13 today. In two days, I'm going to be in the New Testament. Thank you, Jesus. Just saying. All right? When I get to Ezekiel, I'm like, Lord of heaven. Anyway, don't get me started. So what I'm saying, though, is this. It is true. I totally believe that. But the validity of the truth is not the reason Paul started there. He started there because of his audience. He knew his audience, and they believed the Hebrew Bible. Quick question. In our culture today, do most people believe the Bible? No, they don't. So guess what? We need to change our approach. Yes, we believe God's word to be true, but we just can't stand up here and slam down, this is what the Bible says, and expect people to have any validity or authoritative that because they don't believe the Bible to be true. See, here's what we do at OneChurch.tv. We're going to teach the Bible, and we're going to encourage people to belong before they have to believe. And here's what I know. You show up here long enough, and you hear God's word long enough, Isaiah 55, 11 says, it always produces fruit. It never returns void. You will change. We encourage you to belong before you believe and start to behave. See, what's going to happen? You show up here, and you're like, well, my marriage is a wreck. Okay, let us help you through that with some biblical principles, but I don't believe the Bible. That's okay. You don't have to believe it. But let's take these principles from the Bible and you start doing them. Here's what I know. Even if you don't believe it, your marriage is going to change. Why? Because it's truth. And eventually, if you feel like, okay, I can trust him with my marriage, I can trust him with my life, eventually you're going to get to the point where I'm just going to trust you with my life. 
and you will change. Y'all going to get me preaching. Here's the thing. At one church, the reason why my number's on the screen while I teach and preach is because I want this to not just be a one-way conversation. I want this to be a dialogue. You can have, uh, I had three questions show up first service, and I was answering them as I was teaching. Sometimes I can't do that. But we want this to be a dialogue, and we will answer your questions. We give you room to doubt. We don't pressure you that you have to make a decision today. Because I believe God, his word is true, and he's, he's in control. Now, Paul left the outcome in God's hands, and so do we. Verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, and others what would not believe. Do you know when you're a witness telling other people about Jesus, there were some are going to, they're going to be convinced, and others are going to go, ah, not today. It's not going to happen today. I don't believe this stuff today. And that's okay. That's okay. We let people walk away. Jesus did. It's okay. Paul tells them, though, the reason why many won't believe in this next verse. And some of you, this is going to hit you square between the eyes. Verse 25, they disagreed among themselves. This is the reason why they weren't convinced. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. And now Paul quotes from one of the prophets. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he, they said this, from Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever, what? Hearing and never understanding. By the way, wives in here, isn't that your husbands? Let's tell the truth, shame the devil, right? So guys, sometimes we just need, we need the subtlety of a two before upside our head, right? We hear, but we don't understand. Look at this. So hearing, never understanding, you will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And here's the reason why, for these, for this people's heart, has become what? Calloused. What in the world is a callous? How many of y'all, you got a callous? Let me see your hands. Now, those who aren't raising their hands, look around. We call you liars. I got a callous. Oh, yes. Jesus, Jesus. All right, I got, I just, it's as high as I can get it up. I apologize. I got a callous on my big toe that has its own zip code. All right? Now, some of you are like, you nasty, Pastor. You are too. All right? You are too. Let me tell you what a callus is. A callus is an area of thickness. <laughs> Come on, baby. Come on now. That's a really big screen, ain't it? A callus is an area of thickened skin that forms as a response to repeated what? Friction, pressure, or other irritation. That's what a callus is. An area of thickened skin that happens from repeated friction, pressure, or other irritation. Since repeated contact is required, most calluses are found on the bottoms of the feet, sometimes on the hands, if you work a lot with your hands. And let me tell you, here's the thing. We all have them. I like going to get a pedicure. Now, some of you men, you're like, man card, please. <laughs> but don't knock it till you tried it. That's all I'm saying. So I love, there's something about sitting in a massage chair and having somebody rub on my feet. And I even get my eyebrows waxed, but we're not even going to go there. Anyway, my point is this. What? All right. Wasn't in my notes. Here's the thing. <laughs> Where do I go from here? I think I just need to walk off stage and pray, all right? And may the Lord ask his blessing to the reading of his word. All right. See, here's the thing. It's okay to have calluses on our feet. 
But what does that mean to have a callus on your heart? How do you get a callus on your heart? Well, a calloused heart comes from hearing repeated sermons, repeated teachings, reading a repeated Bible, reading repeated verses and repeated chapters, and hearing repeated truth and not doing anything about it. You see, just reading truth or listening to truth isn't good enough. If that's the only thing that you do and you don't do anything with it, you will have a calloused heart. You will have a callous mind. You will have a callous conscience. And where you used to hear and feel God's presence move, you don't hear his voice and you don't feel his presence anymore. It doesn't mean he's left you. No, no, he's all around you. You just can't feel him. You can't hear him. You, you're ever seeing but not perceiving. You're ever hearing but not understanding. For some of us here today, as ugly as that foot is on the screen, our hearts are even uglier. Because yes, we sit and we read our Bibles and we go through you version. And we're, I think today was my 255th day on a streak in the Bible. But if I'm 255 streak in, but I don't do anything wicked with it, I have a wicked and calloused heart. What are you doing with God's word? Y'all go telling you. And that's exactly what Paul is saying to the Jews. You have the scriptures, you have the Bible. You know the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. You know the story about uh, Samson and Gideon and Othniel. And you know the stories of David and, and David and Goliath and David and Bathsheba and Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know all of these great stories, but you've not done anything with it. So God says this because of this. Paul says, God's going to do something radical. Look at what it says, verse 28. Therefore, well, anytime you need to see a therefore, you ask what it's there for. Therefore, because you have a callous heart, the Jews, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the who? Gen now, Gentile is somebody who's non-Jewish. Gentiles is probably us in here today. There's probably hardly anybody who's Jewish in here. And what God is saying that I am for everyone, for God so loved the world. See, God is for everyone. Well, if somebody votes this way, does God still love them? Absolutely he does because they're made in the image of God. Well, what if they have some type of lifestyle? That's, no, no, no. God still loves them. They are made in the image of God. God is for you. And God's call to the church is not to pick it. It's not to hate. It's called to love people. Love people, and guess what? Invite them to belong before they believe or behave, and they will eventually change. Just don't tell anybody about it. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been offered to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And that's where you and I come in. We can fast forward 2,000 years. That's where we come in. Now, here we're going to see the last two verses of the book of Acts. Look at them with me. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Everybody say all. I looked up the Greek word for all this past week, and here's what it means. It means all. Everyone. doesn't matter. Look at this. And what did Paul talk about when they would show up? Look at this. Last verse. Here it is. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he taught about who? The Lord Jesus Christ with all, say it with me, boldness and 
without hindrance. With what? Boldness and without hindrance. There he is in chains, knowing at any moment he could be led away and he would be headed, he would get beheaded, and eventually that's exactly what happens to Paul. Somebody lops off his head. But until that time, with all boldness and without hindrance, he's telling, talking to people about Jesus. And guess what? This is where the book of Acts ends. It's kind of a weird ending. Uh, it's just kind of over. But really, it's not over. Because you and I are still living the book of Acts. We just finished Acts 28, but guess what? We're in Acts 2018. You and I are still writing. God is still moving, moving because the church isn't an institution. It isn't a building. The church is a movement, and movements do what? Move. So my question, church, is are you moving? Are you moving? Will you join in God's work? Will you continue to write the pages of history, not in Acts chapter 28, that's done, but in Acts 2018, the history of the church. And since that time, 2,000 years ago, so many incredible things have happened in the name of Jesus. Hospitals have been built. Hospitals, how they got their start is because Christians decided when the plagues hit that we weren't going to leave the city and they were going to stay and they loved on the sick. And in the name of Jesus, hospitals were created. Millions of people have been fed in the name of Jesus. Millions of people have been housed in the name of Jesus. Hundreds of thousands, millions of children have been adopted. How? In the name of Jesus. Children have been sent to school in the name of Jesus. Slavery was totally done away with in England in the name of Jesus. It took Americans a little bit longer because we have a little bit of ADD and you know how it is. But finally, we got rid of slavery and it was in the name of Jesus that people like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and Ralph Abernathy and godly African Americans and godly white folks came together and said, no more, it's in the name of Jesus that justice will roll down like waters. Dr. Martin Luther King loved quoting that that verse in that chapter from the Old Testament prophets is in the name of Jesus. And that brings us today. And guess what? It's your turn. It's my turn. It's our turn to say, you know what? We're going to continue. And how that happens? You see, we don't do membership here. We ask people to get engaged. So what would it look like for you to follow God boldly? What would it look like if you were unhindered, the last word of the book of Acts, unhindered, what would it look like? My challenge to you with the little time that I have left is simply four things. We don't do membership here. You know, I grew up in traditional church with the members and you became a member and then you kind of sit soaked and soured for the next hundred years. That's not us. We invite you to engage with us in four different ways. And the first one is simply this, to connect, to connect. One of the things that we say all the time here at OneChurch.tv is that circles are better than what? Rows. Y'all know this, right? Y'all are in a what? A row, right? So we encourage you to eventually get in a circle. In two weeks, you're going to have that opportunity to be able to do that. But here's what I know. You will grow further faster if you're in a community group. It's just a fact. You see, you're here and there is no accountability. I, you know, I can't see anybody. Some of you are like, you're peering right into my soul, Pastor. I'm really not because I can't see you. I got all these lights on me, right? But here's the thing. If you can show up here and because I don't see you, you can maybe skip out 
for a couple weeks, and you're like, well, they don't like me there, and they don't know if they even show up. And you know what? We do love you, but we created this environment so that you can be anonymous. You get into a community group, though, and you miss a couple weeks, oh, somebody's calling. They may, be, they may show up at your front door. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm reading a Bible plan, the chronological Bible right now with a couple of, of folks in my small group. And when I'm not on the Bible for a while, they'll call, Pastor, what you doing? How come you're not reading your Bible? I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, because I need accountability. And here's what I know. If I need accountability, I know you need accountability. Just saying, right? So we encourage everybody to connect to the small group. The second way you can engage with us is we invite you, we challenge you to invite to, to invest in people outside the church and invite them to church. And here's the reason why I want you to do that. It's not so that we can have a big church. That's not the goal. I need you to invite your friends who don't know Jesus Christ to church because I need you to see the church the way your friends see the church. And when you show up and, and they kind of come in, they're a little apprehensive, and you're like, it's just a reminder that, guess what, this isn't about you. See, we just sang that song, man, Radical Love that he leaves the 99 found to go after the one. Here in Clarksville, 88% of people don't go to church anywhere. 12%, we're happy as crickets. We're singing all the songs. We're listening to Caleb, doing all that stuff. 88% of people aren't engaging with God, and that bothers me. That should bother you. All right, third way you can do is serve. You can get off the bench and serve. You see, when we go to this thing today and we have the kickball today from 3 to 6, the birthday party, what you, it's no fun if you're sitting on the bench. Do you know that? It's no fun getting sit on the bench. And know this, I'm going to dominate your life. All right? I'm going to be out there and I'm going to be kicking home runs and you're going to be crying. But if you're sitting on the bench, it ain't going to be no fun. Some of you, you think you come to church and you've been sitting on the bench for a while and you're like, this is all there is to offer. And the reason why it's bored is because it's all about you and you're not serving other people. Let me tell you what, how Jesus described himself. Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Here's the thing about this. It's not about you. And if you make it about you, the Christian, the Christian life will be boring and when you choose not to serve other people, you know what you're saying? You're better than Jesus. And I don't want, you to, I don't want to be around you when you say that. Not going to happen. Last one is give. Here it goes. Some of y'all are going, there it is. Reason why I don't go to church. And if you're here, this is your first time, tune out, please. But here's what I know. This is what Proverbs says. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income. For the past 11 years, my wife and I, we have tithed, we've given over and above to One Church TV. so I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. But I'll tell you, before coming to One Church, my wife and I stunk at giving. Stunk at giving. Months would go by, we wouldn't give anything to God, and we knew it was wrong, but we would make excuses. Well, if I got more money, if I got a raise, if... but really, ultimately, it was a faith issue. I'm telling you, what would it look like if the people at OneChurch.tv said, you know what, I'm just going to start giving. I'm going to start, and I'm not going to stop. I'm going to stop tipping God, and I'm going to start giving a percentage. And I don't care what percentage you pick, 3%, 5%. Tithing is 10%, but start with a percentage and test God in that and scoot it on up. Pull up to the bumper.
okay? Move it on up. Try God. How cool would it be if all of us said, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move all of our giving to online so that the church can be unhindered and we can proclaim God boldly and we don't even take up an offering on a Sunday morning anymore. How amazing would that be? Because most of the reason why people don't go to church, they say it's because all they're interested in is the... What if we just said, you know, we're not taking up offerings anymore. We're getting too much money through online giving. (laughs) Said no church anywhere. But how cool would it be if we were just obedient and said, you know what, I'm going to live an unhindered life. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to go for it. I pray that at the end of my life, whenever that comes, I pray that when the Whatever preacher gets up and starts talking about my life, those two words could be used to describe what I've done. I was bold with my family. I was bold with people outside the church. I was unhindered. I love that. God, Heavenly Father, God, we love that we can just come here and be challenged today. Lord, that you are an unhindered factor in our life, that you give us life. And Lord, because you give us life, we are followers of the way. I pray that we would be a people who would be bold, who would be unhindered, and God, that we would go for it, that we would sing it, that we would give it, that we would serve it, that we would get connected, that we would invite, that we would do everything that we it would take for us to just say, I am all in. I am pushing all my chips to the table, and I, I'm thinking, this is it. And if God, if you don't show up, if you don't show out, God, I'm done for. It's in those times, God, is when you work amazingly. Lord, here at One Church, it's okay not to be okay. God, I pray that you would take our not okay's 